Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to See You on the Trail. My name is Hitch. I'm with See You on the Trail. As you know, next to me, I have Mr. Seth Brown. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How's everybody going? Uh, we have a new guest with us once again. Yeah, what do we, we got Mr. A.J. Burns from the long-awaited Meru Safety Podcast. What's going on, man? Uh, going pretty good. I'm sorry for to keep you guys waiting. I had a get married and honeymoon and stuff like that along you didn't with the product have lunch. to well you know i i'm pretty sure it was it was time it oh, was time was to it? get married yeah. <laughs> now we touched on this in uh at at dinner um I, I i don't know if you want to go into the same details but it was a very interesting way y'all met and i think is a sign of things to come for everybody as a whole of how everybody meets each other and it's not a whole lot different than how uh mr allen over here met met his girlfriend and it's kind of crazy that we have i have someone left and right of me that met their significant other because uh, you haven't left your first girlfriend ever that's why that is very incorrect (laughs) and i really do not want to revisit my past as far as my dating life goes well i i I met michelle on on uh a uh, bimbo no bumble bumble bimbo? bumble um <laughs> so uh aj where'd you meet your uh current wife oh we met on tinder we'd been uh we'd both been stood up the night before we were both like sour with the world and with all of the what it's like to date this dating life sucks yeah and so uh and, and we were also like sick and tired of having to like sit and message people for days on end and wondering if it's going to turn into a date and so we we, we talked for like 20 minutes and then decide we were going to go get coffee and within like an hour and a half of like matching on tinder we were we were on a date and it was right at the beginning of uh, right before covid started in january and 2020 and we so we went through covid together so that gave us at least like seven years of dating just off of one lockdown and so then you know it by, by the time we were through that we uh we we got a house and um it was so it was three and a half years ago and so now we're finally married. Uh, we've uh, it, it wasn't anything I was worried about. Well, so. we we just bring this up because literally you got back from your from your honeymoon on Sunday, right? Yes. And so this I'm, is this is Wednesday, so that's that's why we talk about it. But congratulations! And, I, and I'm also hoping we can cut that clip and send it to Tinder and maybe get sponsored. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> no, we, 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 we did actually send Tinder an invite to our wedding because we'd heard they'd send you gift or something, but we didn't get anything. So if you guys can get something from it, we just at least need some kind of cut. <laughs> I, I, I've heard of people doing like sending invites to celebrities and royalty, and they'll get back like maybe a check or uh, or at least like a signed letter or something like that. Uh, that's it, It's a good idea, but I can only imagine just like anything once it gets out everybody tries to do it and then you just get lost in the deck yeah no now, somebody else spoiled it for me so we didn't get any tinder love but at least i got <laughs> no you did get it. some tinder yeah no love. i got the wife yeah, yeah, you know i'll that, take the wife over good. the tinder that's a gift check. that's a gift <laughs> yeah. right yes so let's uh let's go ahead and get, we're gonna call it that's what we're gonna get down to the nitty-gritty now and talk about let's start out how old are you now I'm 27. I consistently have no idea how old I am. Um, it's somewhere between 26 and 28. I'm pretty sure it's 27. Well, okay, but my so, wife constantly corrects me on this because <laughs> I I don't know most of the time. Well, also, so, as everybody can see that's watching it, but if you can't, your hair has a certain hint tint to it. So uh, from what I understand, people with your hair color take souls. And so that changes your age because you don't age the same right you know i uh 
it, it, ginger years and normal people <laughs> years are quite different. Um, I, I wish I had a soul, but it was just something that was missing at birth. And, you know, you, you get well, used to it. You take your you get rid of the soul and you put in uh, gas motors, any kind of motor you got. So let's tell us uh, how you get actually how'd you get started in like four wheels. When did you get interested in it? And let's start from the beginning. Or he started on two wheels. I found out oh, earlier. Okay. Yeah. Two wheels. So um, seven seven years. Well. When I was seven years old, I, I started racing motocross, and I traveled all the uh, all over the country racing motorcycles and um, chasing their amateur national scene. And for the most part, I sucked. I was really bad for like five years. I, I would go, and there'd be like eighty kids at an amateur national, and I couldn't even make a forty man main event. Um, my dad used to take my lap times with a sundial, and it was <laughs> it was just bad. Um, but then. Then all of a sudden things started clicking for me and when I was like about 13, 14 years old and all of a sudden it went from being the guy who was struggling to make main events to kind of being a contender and so then I enjoyed just about three or four years of a success and was making plans to go race Supercross and actually that was one of the reasons I, I'm originally from Southern California and I was trying to, I, I wanted to go to college and race Supercross at the same time and so I had worked it out a deal to come and uh, go to OU, and then I would was gonna ride at Trey Kennard's house in Shawnee and go and try and chase the Supercross series, and it was fairly centralized, so I could you know fly out on Thursday afternoons and get to the races, and then be back for school on Monday, and had a nice little setup, but it uh, kind of all fell through, and I, I I started having some hand issues, and I just couldn't couldn't ride more than three or four laps at a time without my hands going numb, and ended up getting diagnosed with early onset arthritis in both hands and it was uh not something you could really fix and so that went uh that went two wheels for me and um we've had the you know in the motorcycle industry we have the adage with age comes cage mm -hmm. and uh so i kept the path of still coming out here and going to the university of oklahoma and um hopped in a midget and within like six months of being here we had i had started a midget team running through ou and we were the only college in the country running a midget team and uh so that kind of helped me get my my foot in the door and get into one and we ran that program for about a year and a half and then we got kicked out of the engineering department at ou because they said we were too fast and too dangerous and I don't know if they were wrong or not, but it there went my 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 midget program, and so we broke off and did my own deal, and and so I've been racing midgets and up until about two and a half years ago, and then I kind of put my own racing on hold so we could you know take off on this on this safety company and this adventure. But right now we're actually, we just sold midget and uh, we're building a 410 sprint car. So okay. we're, uh, we're going to try and run a little bit of a true outlaw schedule, um, running some non wing 410 stuff, some wing stuff, just basically we're really, really busy with the company right now. But if we have a weekend that comes open, it's find a place on a map on the map and go to it. I, I really like traveling. I love traveling and I love going to new tracks and racing and I love Indiana. So uh, there's not a ton of 410 stuff around here. So everybody's like, yeah, why are you building not... a 410 sprint car? There's no 410 racing around here. And I, I, uh, I, I just tell everybody I, I enjoy the travel. I like, I like to go and get my ass kicked in by the big boys. And I think that you like if, to write checks. And no, I, I mean, 410, 410 <laughs> stuff, especially we're running an older, older style 410 motor okay. is, it was cheaper than going buying a new 360 or these new 305s. They're leaning on those motors so hard that 
you know they're getting ridiculously expensive too yeah. so we got like a you know 15 year old 410 motor that really good non-wing motor and yeah with the wing on we're gonna have to have things slicking off but now, uh, have, it'll have, be fun i have a question for you now you you say the 410 um explain that class because our our clientele is mainly in off-road racing so what is the clientele uh we i'm not client the clientele is off-road racing let's get with that what is a 410 what are the specs and um how much does a car cost just to be able to just to buy it not race it that's a super loaded question on the price it's anything yeah. from you know you can you can get into some older used stuff and an older motor 25 30k um you can also spend eighty five thousand dollars on a new like world of outlaws 410 mm -hmm. motor the 410 is just 410 cubic inch oh, okay that's what um, it is that's what yeah. 410 means is yeah. cubic so, inches uh, yeah. so for the most part, 305s, 360s, and 410s, that's all cubic inch and pretty much breaks down. So with the, exception a, of the, with the exception of the safety specifications, as long as it has a 410 and as long as it has a 410 cubic inch motor, then you're allowed to race in that class. Sort of. Yeah, they, they don't allow sprint cars are pretty far behind on what they allow. It's got to be a push rod motor. It's no... Uh, so there's a bible to it yeah no electronic okay. fuel injection there's there's a lot of stuff so the sprint car is very ar archaic motor it's all for the most part based off the small block chevy a little bit of ford um and then toyota is currently developing a motor for with the world of outlaws but for the most part 90 percent of it is small block chevy stuff i got you okay now that that's that's i need to get in i need to actually in because i want to go to the chili bowl but I don't know anything about it, so, so I never do go to the Chili Bowl because I don't want to spend the money to get in because well, I know it's expensive. It's Actually, the way I, I've tried to go the last couple of years, and one year I actually ended up coming down with COVID. Like, I was two days before I was going to go, I wasn't feeling good. But you can go and buy a pit pass mm -hmm. and get in that way because usually the tickets to actually get in the bleachers are sold out. In May. Yeah, like. It, when, for a race in January. When for a race in January. For yeah. a race, it's sold out in May. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah, the, okay. They'll release the tickets. They're sold out. And then you you might have scalpers or something. But you can get in and sit on the pit side and end up with the rowdies and stuff like that. Kind of. Theoretically. If you want to go sit on the pit side, though, you need to either have a friend or somebody True. down there with a blanket ridiculously early. Especially if you're going Thursday, Friday, gotcha. Saturday. Um, because it's, it's just so packed and they, they, they've deleted like the used to be all the drivers got two tickets to go sit in like the reserve driver seating area. They've done away with that. It's, it's chili bowl is, you know, that that's on the midget side. That's not sprint cars. That's midgets, which are running a, a little bit smaller and they run a four cylinder engine for the most part. They're all custom blocks. Gotcha. You not anything you're going to find on the highway anywhere. It's like a, a small block Chevy legit cut, cut in, in half, half with a plate blocking off the other okay. side of it. Okay. Stuff yeah, like that's that. something I need to look into now. But Chili bowl is, it, it is a, one of the coolest events in the year and one of the worst events in the year, all at the same thing. You, you get so excited <laughs> You know, especially racing it you're so excited for chili bowl and aside from like you know there's 350 something people show up and aside from like maybe three or four guys everybody else is ready to sell their midgets by the time they're <laughs> leaving the place and then they we do it all again the next year because we're just all idiots ultimately we're just not that bright <laughs> well now let's go ahead and get down to the reason why we're here at the podcast um you've started you mentioned just a little bit that you started a safety company um, tell us about that safety company 
where it came from, where the name came from, and what you're trying to do for the industry now. We, I like I said, I came from the motorcycle industry, and I had a longtime sponsor in the motorcycle industry, and that he went through several companies. He was he's really great at creating and selling companies. Originally, it was six six one helmets. He sold that, and uh, but at, at the time, it, right at the end of my motorcycle career, I was riding for Atlas neck braces. And uh, they, they do motorcycle neck braces. And then when I made the transition to four wheels, their owner, Eddie Cole, um, said, hey, we're interested in possibly doing a race car neck brace. Next time you're out in California, why don't you stop by the office? And we'd love to get your opinion on the current landscape on the race car neck braces, what they do well, and where there's room for improvement. So me and my dad started talking about it and thinking on it. And, okay, what are we going to say when we go out there? And I thought, like, because my whole childhood, Eddie had become like a close friend and almost like a grandfather to me. And we would just go to his office and have lunch and he'd give me cool one-off helmets. And so that was, I was expecting to just go meet with him. And we walk into a boardroom full of like 10 people that sat. <laughs> no in, pressure. Yeah, no. And, I, you know, I was like 19 and they just sat there and grilled me for like two hours on what the, the current braces were doing well, where there was room for them to fit. They were coming from the motorcycle side and the the utv deal was just starting to take off really big in like 2014 ish so they were really trying to figure out okay the motorcycle has a direct connection with the utvs Mm because the motorcycle dealerships sell the utvs so how can we get in on this ultimately they decided that they didn't want to the 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 motorcycle neck brace company was only three or four years old they didn't want to direct funding away from the motorcycle side to develop a race car brace. They were like, it's going to be like a million dollars to develop this. We just can't do this at this time. And so Eddie called, had called me and told me that a few weeks after we met with him. And I was like, okay, well, we, me and my dad have been thinking about this a lot and we have some ideas. Would you mind if like we tried pursuing something on our own, maybe bring it back to you? Just like if we kept moving with this and he's like, go for it. So we um, we started working on an idea, and my, my dad had background both in machining and then he in the motorcycle industry. He was uh, did suspension development for several of the Supercross teams and a long-time suspension and an engine builder. So he really understood shocks. And what we were seeing was the current braces on the market were doing an gr- absolutely great job at preventing neck injury. Essentially took that off the table and then completely eliminated it. But how they were stopping the head, we felt like there was a lot of room for improvement in the concussion side. Okay. The, the, the rigid braces, when they bring your head to a stop, the only kind of energy absorption you have is from the belt stretch. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a really jarring feel. And as somebody who's crashed a race car and actually sat in the seat and, and crashed really hard, you feel that. It feels like your head bounced off a wall, yet there's not even a scratch on your helmet. And so we started working on a brace that would maintain the neck safety, but improve on the head safety. And so my dad started working on a shock absorber and I started working on 3D modeling a brace to affix it to. And we we started 3D printing braces and and we got something we were pretty happy with. And this was towards the end of 2016. And we went and took it up to the Cape crash testing facility in Indianapolis because they're who you have to do your crash testing for, for both SFI and FIA. And so we figured it, if we were going to do crash testing anywhere, it needed to be with them because they were the people that mattered. And uh, at the time we didn't have a whole lot of funding. And so we um, 
we we had one investor at the time, but it, we did not have a lot of money to go take off with this, and so we we went in and te- they said, okay, well for SFI you got to do a, a straight on test and a thirty degree test, but the thirty degree test is the harder one. It's we see plenty of people that come in and do the ninety just fine, but then they get to thirty and they can't pass. And so how would you like us to set up the sled? And I was like, set it up for 30, because if we can't make it at 30, it doesn't matter anyway. Well, I mean, yeah, go ahead and start with the harder one, and then you can step back to the easier one. Yeah. And uh, so that first test, um, we uh, it, we we set it up and ran, and the, the engineer in the lab was uh, looking at our test results afterwards and because I showed up and I was, you know, 20, early twenties and I showed up with a backpack all by myself. I'd like Ubered there. I, I wasn't old <laughs> enough to get, an, to get a rental car. And he was waiting for my, like my, um, like my boss to show up thinking I was his assistant and I was the one he had been talking to on like over emails. And so he, uh, sets it up, we go and crash test it and he's looking at the test results and he's like, man, this is really good. This is like, better than anything i've seen how, how many neck restraints do you think he had tested at that point a lot okay. a lot yeah <laughs> and based off of our conversations you know some of some of the other companies will go up there and essentially rent that for days on end or a week and they can do six or seven passes a day and they spend a lot of time up there so at that point in time we were just like man we we, we got something here and, and we thought we were gonna have to develop for a, a lot longer than that and so we um came back from that and we're like okay we have we have traction we 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 really had made the gains we were looking for on head protection already but at the time the brace was super ugly super heavy it was like a nine pound brace it could also be like double as a boat anchor and it wasn't pretty it was not my best job 3d modeling it was pretty ugly is there any way we can get a picture of an early yeah one? yeah i got if it if you'd be willing to we, release that you know i I, I I can send you some. It, it it's sitting at the at our at our office, um, but it uh, it was it it was rough, um, but it was performing so well. Okay. So it's like okay, we just need to take all this geometry that we have on this one, all the same pickup points, and let's go back to the drawing board, make this thing lighter, let make it sexy, make this something worth purchasing, and also that was when we went and we filed for our patent. Okay. Um, Let, we... Let's stop right there. I do have a question for you because you're talking about geometry angles and all that kind of stuff. Maths. Maths. How did you learn that? And you talked about at, at dinner. We all went to Land Run, by the way. Thank you, Land Run. Yes, um, thank you, Land Run. Yeah, but uh, we'll talk about Land Run in a bit. But you said you went to OU. Um, you went to University of Oklahoma. And what did you study? And tell me, tell us more about that so we know where your history comes from and how the the geometry and how your knowledge works. Everybody assumes since what what I'm doing as you know as a business now that I was an engineer. I wasn't. Um, I my dad is fourth generation machinist. We've been building stuff since I was a little kid. The engineering and building stuff side always came super naturally. I actually went and pitched my first product when I was like 14 years old to Sports Chalet out in California. So um, Sports the, Chalet. What was Sports Chalet? It's it's, it's essentially like Academy. Um, it was like the really high dollar sports store, like big box store in uh, in in California and um, kind of like Academy is here in Oklahoma and we I gotcha. we um we went and <laughs> we I pitched a little it was like a hybrid between a scooter and a bicycle and a skateboard to them and uh 
they actually really liked it, but I couldn't come up with the money. I needed to order a container of them to make the deal go through, and I, I couldn't make the money side of that happen. And so when I went to go to college, instead of um, – I originally started as an engineer, but I quickly realized was the engineering side I was familiar with, I was good at what I – to do what I really wanted to do long term, which was start and create businesses and create products you needed to understand the business side. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I, I made, originally made a, a change and went as an entrepreneurship major. And then after like a year of that, I made another change and I actually created a degree in um, corporate innovation at OU. I ended up graduating with like 60 more credits than I actually needed so to. So you created your own degree? Yeah, it's... Um, it's a program they have. It's you have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops. It's under un, uh, multidisciplinary studies. You have to get your degree plan approved through the provost, do all this stuff, and then come up with a name and all this. But realistically, it allowed me to go and combine like three or four different degrees and add on a bunch of different classes that my advisors were adamant that I didn't need to take but I felt were absolutely crucial for my long-term success when I got out in the real world. Okay. The, the the scary part about it is when you do that, your degree, your piece of paper is worth nothing. Mm -hmm. They can, you can go in with any of your advisors at OU and they'll tell you, oh, this degree is guarantees you X amount of dollars, this degree, X Which amount of dollars. bullshit. Yeah, you know, but they, they, they go and they, they take all of their previous graduates, take surveys of where they're at now, what, how much they're making. So you have a bottom, middle, and high level for what each degree is theoretically worth. Mine wasn't worth two pennies because it was a totally unproven commodity. Mm -hmm. um, it was really in improvement mode. Like, okay, you learned all this here. Now you got to go do something with it. And uh, but I, I felt good about it, and I was I was really happy when we were able to graduate and. The last like three or four semesters at OU were some of my like best times of my life because I was going in every class like like so excited for what I was going to be able to learn that day as if like you were going to go like to a big conference and listen to a like a really cool speaker or, or somebody that like you 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 look up to talk. I essentially just kind of got that feeling pretty much every class I was going to, and it was That's cool because cool. I was able to. I was able to pick and really create my own degree. So all the classes I was taking, I wanted to, there wasn't any classes I felt like I had to. And I can tell you every single day I'm using that stuff from the degrees, especially from classes that my, you know, advisors told me I didn't need to. And the other thing was I, I kept a really close relationship with a lot of my professors. And I, let me tell you, starting this company, I've leaned on almost all of them <laughs> That's so um, awesome. because they are, you know, they're field experts. They are so smart. They specialize in this stuff. And it's like, I have, you know, you know, 10 unpaid advisors that I can call up at any time. And, you know, most of them are still local in, in here around Norman. And so I can, I can make those phone calls. I can go get a meeting with them. And then, you know, when you don't have a bunch of employees, it's great to have those assets, you know, at your fingertips. So, that's the education side of mine. That's, I, uh, that's amazing because you and I are on completely different sides of this because my de my parents said they would help he me. He can't even read. <laughs> well, it's close, but <laughs> I, my parents said, hey, if you graduate high school, um, we'll, we'll help you pay for your college education. And I said, mom and dad, I will not waste your money because I'm going to major in campusology, which would be drinking and partying and everything else. So... They said, okay, well, well, we've kind of allotted this money for you. 
what do you want to do with it? And I said, I want to go to Branson and try to be a rock star, be a country music star. So that's what I did for the next 10 years. Could you even play an instrument? See, I played I, five. Well, be- before you got to Branson. Yes, okay. yes, yes. I think but, you were- uh, so I, did, I went the completely different route than what you did. You enjoyed college. Did you enjoy high school? No, I thought high school was stupid. I didn't understand why I was there. And honestly, when I first got to you, I struggled really bad. I actually, um, I, I don't often broadcast this, but I actually failed out of OU. And I, I had to take like a year off because I was doing so bad. That's and, the same way my, my um, father did that. He's a propulsion. He was a propulsion engineer for the uh, FAA for his, as his career. And he failed out of University of Arkansas uh, for one year and then excelled the rest of them i don't know what he did to do that but yeah i in i had the opportunity to go back to california i could go transfer back and go straight back into school in california um i had i had grandparents who worked within like the at three of my four grandparents are college professors and so i could have gone to school in california for free i could have done a bunch of different things and I, I was terrified that if i went back i would never finish and so i stayed out here i got a job Started working at Enterprise Rental Car, washing cars for seven twenty-five an hour, and then I went and got a job, or then I went and started taking classes at Rose State. Kind of got course corrected. It sounds stupid as all get out, but I read Steve Jobs' book, and he dropped out of college, and everybody uses that as like a. Like I don't a, need college. Yeah, yeah, I don't need college. But what they don't mention was that after he dropped out of college, he stayed at that college for two years, dropping in and auditing classes and all the things that he was interested in and he thought was important and he would sit through all the lectures sit through all the projects but he didn't get a grade for a damn thing he was there for like the purity of education and learning and that's why we have fonts and computers from his calligraphy classes and so many things in those two years after he dropped out but staying on campus influenced so much of his life afterwards that that's when i became this like had this like overwhelming feeling like i need to go back and I need to learn and I need to absorb and it doesn't matter what my grades are what my degree says if I want to be go do the things I want I have to take this seriously and get out of this deal like oh I got to do this homework or Mm -hmm. I to get through this class stop looking at it as like oh this bullshit thing that I need to get through and like I'm just doing what I'm supposed to but I don't want to be actually doing this go there and see what you can get out of it and i and i like i hate promote like inspirational speakers and stuff like that well you'd be a pretty good one right oh no i i'm not (laughs) um um i also can be um the opposite of inspirational and tell you all the reasons you shouldn't do things i would like to see you sit down with uh the guy from dirty jobs micro (laughs) and have you all go back and forth because I, I like a lot of things he says about education, but you're also saying a lot of things I, I like too. Well, it's just one of those things where I don't really like, I don't think everybody needs to go to college. And I, I don't think that inherently going to college means you're something. True. I don't think that, and I don't think like you, val- the value of a degree is what you bring, what you learn, what you retain. Mm-hmm. So many people memorize. And then as soon as they get out of that class, out of that year, out of that whatever, they can't tell you anything they yep. learn. And I know that there was a lot of kids, like almost all my classes, I didn't actually graduate from the business school, but all my classes were in the business school because I was creating my own degree. It was in the College of Arts and Sciences, but all of my classes, like 80% were in the College of Business. 
And I can tell you so many of those kids thought they had it all figured out. Their professors were idiots and the professors were just wasting their time making them do stupid projects. And I can tell you those kids right now are like struggling to swim, not <laughs> understanding like they're out in the real world with like, you know, deer in the headlights and a lot of this why stuff. Why does my trust fund not have a... Exactly. Why, yeah, why, no. why did it run out? And, and, and you're, so, even kids that were smart, I was by far not the smartest kid in my classes. There wasn't a single class I was the smartest kid. Um, I did things like I'd sit in the front of class, I'd bullshit with professors, I'd have like an open dialogue, and it helped me so much. And it, and it got to the like, like I said, like I'm friends with most mm-hmm. of my like former professors now. Uh, simple modern drinkware. They make um, like insulated water bottles and cups and stuff like that, like on similar to like Yeti. They um they started in 2016, and they already sell more cups and drinkware than Yeti and Hydro Flask combined, and they're based out of more. Okay. And one their their founder was one of my professors at OU, and I still have a meeting with him like once a month. To, he he's incredibly good at e-commerce, but also facets of business, but specializes in e-commerce. And I meet with him once a month to kind of evaluate where we are with our business, how we can grow, Very what we can cool. do. And he's he's helped a ton. And, you know, supply chain management, all kinds of different classes. I just have professors that are, you know, have that. They're helping you. Yeah. With yeah. You. Okay. yeah. And, and they don't know. They don't know anything about race cars. Yeah. No, that's very cool. Now, you said you uh, let's after we got off the college tangent. Yeah. You said you filed for the patent. When did you file for the patent for the Mero? For Meru. Miru. Is it Miru or Meru? Meru. Meru. Okay. okay, let's let before you go with the patent, where did you come up with the name Meru? Because it's such a common name. Oh yeah, you know, we <laughs> you know it was you know, I saw it on a on a toothpaste box. No, I um <laughs> um we in, in one of my classes at OU they they had us watch this documentary about climbing Mount Meru. It's it's a mountain in the Himalayas. I get and, I get the logo now. And it, it's one of the, um, it's supposed to be like the hardest mountain to climb. You have all these guys who work as Sherpas on uh, Everest climbing people up. You know, they mm-hmm. do 20 trips a year up Everest, you know, get paid to to take other people up. And they go and try and climb Meru and they, they just couldn't do it. And it's, it's, it's like 8,000 feet shorter than Everest. But you have to be able to do big wall climbing, snow climbing. And uh, there's some other form. Anyway, three drastically different types of climbing. And you have to carry the last part to get up to the last little bit is big wall. So you have to carry like 250 pounds of big wall gear all the way to the top Ropes, of this mountain. Ropes, all yeah. that stuff. And so it's it's an incredibly difficult climb. But our my class, we had to watch it to like everybody should find a mountain to climb. Something that just burns inside them. That thing they want to accomplish and then go figure out how to climb that damn mountain and so this documentary did an awesome job at get going through and it was the first guys to ever climb meru and it was a three-man team and it talked about the dangers the adversity like how they were three drastically different people if you it taught you like the value of never having like two of the same person in room if there's two of the same person one of them's not needed mm-hmm. um and so it was, it was just an awesome business like like you could draw so many parallels to business. And so it was, it was a great movie and I'd watched it four or five times. And we, um, we actually, this was supposed to be a different name, 
brace. I'm not going to say what the name was supposed to be because we had a licensing deal with a company to use their name. Okay. And we had, for like four years, the plan was to go with these people. And they were awesome people. And um, they were they were letting us use, going to let us use their name. But part of our licensing agreement said that if we ever sold our company, we couldn't sell our name with it. And as I begin to understand more and more about the business side and long-term aspirations, and if you ever sell, it makes it so you're not really selling a brand. You're just selling a product and your, your sales, but you can't sell the name and the logo with it, which takes a ton of value out of it. So it was actually last summer. Um, we had, right before we were getting ready to really dive into our launch and start producing, we had to change names. We or we decided it would be best to, and so I spent about two weeks losing my mind uh, trying to figure out names. I probably sent my wife a hundred different name ideas. I decided I liked the Japanese like language, and okay. I liked a lot of like the logos and stuff I'd seen off of Japanese using Japanese names. So I bought a Japanese to English uh, dictionary, and I was going through that, going through that, and then for whatever reason, I was looking at it one day. And I don't know what I even saw, but all of a sudden it clicked. I was like, Meru, the movie that I watched, because we were looking for something. So it wasn't even in that expensive dictionary? No, it was, no, it was seven bucks on Amazon. It wasn't super expensive. But, um, I mean, for me, I'm pretty cheap. But uh, I think I actually bought a used version. On it's even better. His um, wife's over there nodding. Um, but um, it wasn't even in the book. But some, I saw something that sparked it for me. We were looking for something that was short, that was sweet, that meant something, that was easy. You know, just a few letters would be easy to, like, adapt and get people memorizing. And so then I looked up Meru. <laughs> then I looked up, looked up what does Meru mean. And it's in the ancient language of Sanskrit. Meru means peak. And I was like... We're looking to be the peak of performance. This is this works perfectly, and so Perfect. it was a it was a great tie-in. Then I started working on logos, and my my business partners and my advisors were pretty critical. Um, we did another week of me making sheets with twenty different versions of logos and sending it every day, and uh, finally we came up with the logo and the M makes it so you can do a nice like mountain shape with the logo. Meru meaning peak. It just felt all like, like it was coming together. And then we were looking for what the, um, okay, that's going to be the name of the company. What are we going to name the product? And that was when we are like, okay, this is our first foray into this. It's a company based off of mountains. So let's call it the first ascent. This is the first climb up the mountain. Okay, and yeah, so, it all ties in yeah, very nicely. You know, it, maybe it's not as for marketing purposes. It's a it's a harder sell for people to understand, but it all made sense in here. And ultimately, That's... when you look you look at most brands that you know, mm. you don't know what they actually mean yeah, no. or why. It just becomes a name that you're used to saying. And there's one... probably a backstory. You yeah. just got to find it. Yeah. Well, and that's why we like doing this podcast. The simple fact is we like to hear the backstory and how it happened. And I know a lot of the off-road racers that we have that are watching the podcast, they want to know the history about it. They want to know everything about it because they're going to put their life in their own in, in, in your hands on that deal. Yeah. So that's why we want to know the history about it. So let's go. We've heard the name story. You got the patent. You applied for the patent in what year? 
2016. It was fall 2016. We got a year up provisional patent at that point, and then we I think we filed a couple extensions. We were trying to decide if we were going to sell it to another company or if we were going to take it to market ourselves. And once we decided that we we're going to take it market to ourselves, we uh, we filed for the you know the the, the full full patent and that um then there was kind of a waiting game because patent process just it, it takes forever and so i was still in college and i was just kind of like hanging out and waiting around and then all of a sudden COVID hit and things got really weird um we we uh it, during that time we had we had met with a couple different companies couldn't find the right dancing partner and so co COVID hit all of a sudden may 2020 i'm graduating from ou and within the same week i graduated from ou and we got our patent granted Nice. And so it's like, all right, it's time to go, you know, put on your big boy pants. Let's go make this happen. But then even for the next year, everything was shut down. Mm -hmm. It was impossible to me that our, at that point we, we needed to raise investment. Um, I, Is your dad living in California at the time? In 2015, like two years after I came out here, my whole family followed me out. And, okay. Uh, they were like, the, California. Oh, this area is so much better than where we're from in California. We're going to come out here. We actually had tried to move to Oklahoma in 2007, um, okay. had made a uh, offer on a house down in Atoka. And uh, I, I, when I told you we sand dragged, that was down yeah, in Atoka. Atoka. Yep, yep. The, I know where the, the sand drags are there. Yeah, we um, we made a offer there and. Um, my parents were trying to take the equity they had in their house in California, be able to pay it off there and then buy a house here cash. And they needed like $20,000 to extra to make the whole deal go. And so our realtor in California is like, Oh, just put new flooring and, and countertops in your house. And if you do that, we'll, we'll be able to get you what you want to do. And so it took like four months for us to make that renovation. And I'm not sure if you guys remember much about 2007, but everything, uh, crashed. everything crashed and we were stuck in California for the considerable future. And so um, I, I won. I made it to Oklahoma first. It was the opposite <laughs> of the, um, you know, Dust Bowl when everybody was going, all the Okies were going to California. I, uh, I was coming back from uh, back to Oklahoma. I actually have like relatives like, three generations up they all came from oklahoma so it was like a return home for me i, I grew up in a small ski resort mountain so town you and... don't do anything conventional no like, no no from dating to business to education to where you end up living like nothing has been conventional if you get nothing from this podcast this man is not conventional he kind of beats or walks with the beat of his own drum i guess you could say but i but i, I you know I, I know you guys have you know a, a big off-road following and i don't know if you guys are aware the roads are paved now so i hope that you guys <laughs> can appreciate taking the road less traveled and in, in, in oh you know definitely aiming for the bumps and um mm -hmm. you know i i i really enjoy um, you know, finding my own way, and and I don't accept that um, just because everybody else is doing it that it's the thing to mm -hmm. do. Right. Um, I'm very, I've been the annoying little kid that has asked why my whole life, and I want to understand it. I want to take apart everything. I want to f understand how it works. Now, every, half the stuff I took apart never found its way back together, but I at least understand how it operated. You understand how it operates. Mm -hmm. Which, which I let's go ahead and put a, take a pause here, and I want to. Um, I want to talk about our two sponsors that we actually have. Uh, first off, we want to talk about Land Run 
off uh, Land Run Land Run Off Road. No, it's Land Run Bar and Grill. That'd be an awesome name for an off road park, though. <laughs> no, Land Run is right off of I thirty five, right at Tecumseh Road, just north of Norman. Uh, they've been good friends of mine for a long time, and what they do is they take. All of our podcast uh, guests, they bring them out. We, we go to their place before we come to this studio, and we sit down and we have dinner, and we try not to talk about too much, but we do talk about a lot. But um, we they, they take care of the dinner for all of us, and I want to th- I want to say thank you to them. That's what they do for us. Um, we're basically it's just just a great product sponsor. And I'll tell you what the great thing is: it's right off the interstate with uh, with a big. I mean, it's got a decent-sized parking lot, and then right across the street, there's a parking lot for big toters and stuff. So if you're coming from Oklahoma City and you're heading down to, let's say, Crossbar, or if you're in Dallas-Fort Worth or Ardmore or any of that way, and you're going up to see Jay Oklahoma at Mid-America Off-Road, you can stop by, grab a drink, grab dinner, grab lunch, have a great sit-down restaurant there. That's why I it like them. It is maybe a block from the interstate. Yeah, it's like a block from the interstate. Easy in, easy out. That's one reason why I kind of targeted them to come see us and, and, and be a part of our, our podcast. So uh, thank you, Garrett and Gary and Amy, for sponsoring this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Our second one is Territory Whiskey. They've been a part of us for so far. Uh, I think we're at five episodes that they've they've sponsored and since uh aj spends most of his time not drinking we are bringing up his newlywed wife to take a sip of it and to tell us uh what it's she about is, come around here to his mic she's two yeah. percent something that, uh two percent hairdresser that's what it is it's a, yeah she's latino uh, hair, latino hairdresser latino, everything so Costa rican uh, michelle come on over here if you want to drink oh, and she's I, I poured one for you so come on over yeah, she's Irish, so, so I think that may be, do more. The the two percent Latina was just off of a DNA test. Now, you I look like you just it. came off a tennis court or something. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, the thing is, let me tell you the story about how we met Jamie. We met Jamie at a dive bar here in Noble. Yeah. And uh, he was doing a sampling, a tasting. We didn't know who he was. Was we he didn't here at know... the, the Friendly Tavern? No, he was at the Hilltop. Oh, I, oh I, I didn't even know this about how this started. Yeah, okay. so he was at the Hilltop. I thought he was one of the owner's cronies. Like I thought I was just he was just a helper, no big deal. So I bugged him for this hat. I was like, that's Sounds good like whiskey. One of your stories. And I was like, I bugged him. She bugged him. He wouldn't give it to us. Finally he gave it to us. And then like a month later, I called him or I sent him a message on Facebook. I said, Hey man, you need to be a part of this podcast. Yeah. I think it'll be good. And he's like, All right, call me. So I called him and he's like, Yeah, I'm down. Let's make a deal at the horse track. You can bet on my horse. Okay, deal. So we went to the horse track. We made a deal. He takes care of whiskey for all of our guests. So you guys get to take home that full bottle of uh, territory she whiskey. She gets to take one. She, she she gets I love this. I mean, after the delicious dinner at Land Run, now you're giving whiskey. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so cheers to territory. See you on the trail and Meru safety. Cheers. Here we go. Do, now, you want to smell it? No, I absolutely. <laughs> okay, what's your honest opinion? This that is, is absolutely delightful. What does it taste like? Um, sweet, a little nutty at first. <laughs> Definitely like some cinnamon. Do not like. <laughs> it's uh, a little nutty at first. I feel like it, it's a very easy, easy whiskey to drink. Though. It's a cinnamon pecan. Mm-hmm. I think okay, I have it. So I think I have it right that, here. Hold yeah. on. Cinnamon. Hold on a sec. Your pecan cinnamon. 
Did you hear that? Come on, cinnamon. It was the f- first podcast we did. Michelle said something to me, and my response was, you're a pecan cinnamon. She doesn't have a headset on, so she yes. didn't actually hear that it. Is, I, I heard a little bit. I heard pecan cinnamon. Um, that is very, very good. It's um, not cinnamony. Like, I, I tell, at, the end, at the end, I feel like there's just like that sweet. I tell That's a lot of people warmest. about it because I've been trying to get it at the bars and like around more, mm-hmm. and uh, nobody even knows about it. And I... <laughs> Okay, truly, I think it's, truly, I, truly, what it reminds me of is when you walk through. Have you guys ever gone through those spiced nut stands? Mm-hmm. And that aroma. Ooh, good that's point. That's what this tastes like. Yes, mm-hmm. I never thought about the that. First thing that comes to my mind. But um, anytime I say cinnamon whiskey, it, or whiskey with yeah. anything cinnamon You're in pecan it. Cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear I'm it now? Here. <laughs> I want to know. I want to be here. You're pecan cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much nicer in here. All I can hear out here is cinnamon. No. But, no, but uh, everyone thinks cinnamon, cinnamon, cinnamon. I'm like, no, no. Uh, it's it's smooth. It's more, it's more nutty. Well, yeah. and she knows uh, this because her aunt actually owns a uh, nut toasted, house. Yeah, no, a toasted pecan like, stand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked in it when I was like a little kid. Um, so the first thing upon tasting it was, wow, this reminds me of like kind of my childhood and. It was an easy swallow. You don't need to taste it. Nope. So you married into a nutty family. <laughs> my, hey, my, thank you so much. Beats I to a different drum. This. We've already talked about Ooh. that. <laughs> so thank you very much. You. <laughs> and so she gets to take care of that. But we also we also have something that uh, we do, and I didn't even mention this to you, AJ. But um, we uh, we actually try to get people to bring stuff to us that are just kind of. Something that we so can throw we up on our wall. Thank you for giving us one of your necklaces. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can bring you a box. Um, we'll I don't have it. enough of them. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, every day we get um, people like aggressively demanding free product from us, and or if we like send them like an, we have a really expansive driver support program, and it ba- we try and get basically everybody who fills out driver support form, unless there's something glaring wrong with their social media accounts or something. We try and get everybody some form of discount, and we've had some people we offer them a discount, and they're like, are you serious? That's the best you That's, can do. Yeah, well, oh, I'm not going to wear it then, and I'm like, that is okay. Like, yeah. if, don't, it, don't worry about it. I, I'd like you to protect your head, but if you're going to be like that, like, you know, continue wearing what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. No, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story right after we talk about this, because he's holding on to this, this little thing. Now, somebody of you... Everybody in this podcast that is watching this podcast knows where this came from. Now, this guy is a two-time, or not this guy. The guy that gave this to me is a two-time KOH champion. He's raced numerous times. KOH is like the Chili Bowl. King of the Hammers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, King of the Hammers. I'm a California guy. I I don't know a ton on off-road, but I got King of the Hammers down. (laughs) There we go. go. As long as he says King of the Hammers and not King of Hammers or King Hammers, it drives me nut up a wall. Thank you for saying King of the Hammers. But um, anyway, no... um, Lauren found out back in 2015, 2016 that I lost all my equipment that I was doing. So he calls me and says, hey, man, I got a GoPro. I'll send you and give it to you. This is like 15, 14, 15, 16. That's a GoPro 1. Yeah. So I'll show you what it was. Yeah, I was looking well, at, the, the, at the sides and yeah, every, everything. I was like, that's the original that's OG and the logo on the hero. Yes. Um, I was like, that's an original GoPro. But right anyway, so he gave it to me, and I kept it, never used it. It's It was way out of date. Oh, yada, that's yada. why he won't sign it. No, you. wait a minute. So, no, he won't sign it because it's me. But anyway, so anyway, 
from now, I called him like a year or two ago when I started this podcast. And I said, hey, man, why don't you, why don't you sign it and we'll do a, a raffle or a giveaway or something for it. Well, he adamantly will not sign it. <laughs> and he's a good friend. I mean, we have our phone numbers. We talk and everything else. I mean, at the last podcast that was here, uh, the podcast guest yeah, sent him a text, him. text him and said, Hey, can you sign this for Lauren or, or for, can you sign this for Hitch or can you sign this GoPro? And he sent back a text and said, not for Hitch. <laughs> so yeah, that's this his is, yeah. Yeah. so this is why we say every podcast, Lauren, please sign that GoPro. It, uh, so I, if I don't have any pull. Wait, um, yeah, I think you do. So if you just hold this and say, Hey, as the owner of this safety company, does Lauren still race? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Very, so Lauren. I'm willing to offer you a discount on a brand. <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> if you will sign this, but I have to see an actual signature first. But then I think we can make a deal on a brace. And, oh, and, and uh, the the thing is, is if still if we can get this signed, we will do a giveaway with people that are watching the podcast. And uh, I don't know, maybe we can throw some uh, Meru swag in with it, also. Maybe. Yeah, I need more Meru swag. All I have is hats right now, and we're supposed to sell these hats. They they. We never even put them on the website, and I'm already almost out of the whites, and there's only, like, a few blacks left. Oh, and a couple beanies. Like So those... if, if, you, uh, if you're listening and you have a hat company or an embroidery company, reach out. You know, I, you, I say that. I... I have a really good hat company. I'm just what like like we talked about before. You I'm said cheap. you're cheap. Yes. <laughs> so okay, now let's. Uh, you've got the patent. You got everything taken care of there. Now you've built the company, and now you're waiting on product to be built and done. Right? Is that where we're at? No, the building the company, it was a, a slow burn. Um, it was a long time struggling and then everything all at once. Uh, I spent 10 years trying to become an overnight sensation. Um, it was uh, it was a, a ton of, you know, we drove to Knoxville, Iowa to try and get a 30-minute conversation with an investor. We drove to Indy. We drove all over the place just trying to meet with investors and try and get the funding to take it to market. And we, had, we, we at that point, we had the patent. We pretty much had a product ready to go. But we needed, we didn't have like our business structure. So why didn't you go like on the Shark Tank? You know, for the same reason that, um, uh, you know, a a quality musician doesn't go on American Idol. Um, I hate. So Alan would have done great on American Idol is what you're saying? I, I absolutely hate Shark Tank. It's the most like. I've had to do so many pitches. I've had to do those conversations, but I hate made for TV anything. Mm, okay. Um, I agree with you. So we uh, we did not go in there, but we, we struggled for a long time just trying to find the right people to understand what we're doing. A lot of the, we were going to a lot of the wealthy people in motorsports, but honestly, for the most part, like racing is where they spend their money, not where they make their money. And yeah. so it was, uh, or you have some people that have, made their they were really good at doing one thing but they're not like like an experienced like angel investor or anything like investing in new stuff is not necessarily where they have their like a lot of experience and so it it was rough and um it actually we we went and did an accelerator program here in oklahoma city to um try and raise capital from more traditional non-racing places and like vc firms and 
you know, accredited investors and stuff like that. It was uh, like 35 people applied to get into the program and they only took uh, five people or five companies and we were one of them. And we went through, it was like a 10 week program. It was pretty intensive, but they really just worked with us on our structure, our our, our planning, where trying to take us from just be on a, pro, a product to a brand and mm-hmm. where you can expand okay. to what other industries are out there, what other products can you make and not for the immediate, but for the long term, because that's what gets investors excited is when, you know, where you could grow to. It's not necessarily where you're at right now. It's where can you be five years from now? And it, it helped our company so much. And then you end up with jackasses like us uh, asking you to come do our podcast. Ah, you know, I'd, <laughs> it, I'd way rather do the podcast than go and make another pitch to an investor um, <laughs> and get told no. Um, you know, but it... Um, it, it, it was really, really good for us. The last week That's of that good. program, you pitched to 25 investors. Um, and you, it is just, you know, grilling you and grilling you. But the time, by the time you leave the program, you are like, you're ready to go out in the real world. And it... Um, well, and you... It sounds like you are... De- they develop you to be able to answer those questions. Oh, yeah. And you... There's... It got to a point... There's almost not a... It, I can talk for two hours straight about the brace, the company that you can ask me any question you want. And almost, I almost always have an answer for it. And going into that program, I couldn't have said the same thing. Um, I knew a ton about the product, but on all the rest of the questions was where it, um, it, it where, where I would get caught up. And so um, we, we finally got through that program and it actually our original, where we were able to grow in that program actually re-inspired our original investor um, to come back in and, and you know, invest more. Is in that it. who you were telling us about? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. uh, John Giles, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's, he's back to this program since the beginning, but also he um, very much took a, give a man a fish, feed him for a night, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. If he would have given me the money he gave us, you know, last July, um, five years ago when we first started, I would have ran the company in the ground. I wasn't ready yet. It, it I wouldn't be I was, here. Yeah, it, it, it wouldn't be where it is today. Um, it, it took a lot of growth and learning and understanding and, and then failing and then going and getting the hard way, getting those no's, getting those no's from all these other people and then being able to come you know, finally, when he got to the point where he was ready to and put more money in was when we started getting serious attraction from investors outside. And okay. we were going to bring more people in. And then all these people wanted to invest by the end of that program. And then it was, okay, let's go do this. And let's keep this internally. Let's not dilute anymore. And um, so it was a huge confidence boost for me to have people that were, you know, involved at the beginning and you had the patent at that time, right? Yep, yep. We did had you it. have SFI certification or anything? No, no. The SFI did not come. We, With our prototypes, um, we had far, you know, we were way under the SFI um, threshold with our prototypes, but we didn't actually have certification. Because and by the, that you mean you were better than uh, the minimum yeah, right. they have a maximum number that you can test for upper neck tension, compression, okay. and nidge, and you can. We we were under all of that. So so you you were blowing the test out of the water with the prototype. With the prototype, okay. Um, but we 
for SFI certification, it has to be with a brace off the production line. One that's ready to sell. Yes, it, okay. it made the exact same way the ones that you and know you're selling. Them. I'm assuming your later prototypes got to the point where they're pretty similar to the ones off the shelf, right? Yep. So the only difference was was all of our prototypes from until we got our production ones were all 3D printed. Um, we got to the point where we liked, you know, we got the shape. We, we, we were using like a, like honeycomb printing on the 3d printing to try and get the weight similar. We're getting really close to what the production product looked like. It just was 3d printed. Um, and is 3d printing the bulk of it, not a feasible way to produce it in the long run. So you have issues, um, flight with flame retardants um also that it takes a long time to 3d print it okay. print them they're they're good in an impact but not good like bouncing around in a gear bag and there there's a whole bunch of reasons and they're just i wouldn't say economical also could you do it yes like i i raced with a 3d printed one a bunch okay but so, so you actually raced with one of your prototypes yeah okay but what I, was I allowed to? No. Did they not tech? Yeah. And, and so, would you want one of your customers doing that? No. And, and and like we could make 3D printed braces that the public could go and drive in. Um, they don't they don't have the finish you're looking for. Mm. Also, you know, people just want they want carbon fiber, titanium. They want all those catchphrases that yes. sound cool, look cool. And so, it, which also carbon fiber is a very rigid, strong, lightweight structure, um, and it works very well for this purpose. Yeah, right? yeah, no, I mean it's awesome. I, there, we, we we've considered a bunch of different ways of you know, where what kind of materials we might be able to make braces with in the future, but um, we uh, we we really. We're really happy when we finally got these braces that we have now in. The first time I pulled one out and I, and it, I saw it finished, I was like, "Wow, this is cool!" Because I'd only ever seen like three D printed ones just have like a matte finish. You can see the lines from the printing. They never look... unless you go in and bodywork it. And yeah, it. well, yeah. and so we we actually um, we with the three D printing, we couldn't get it light enough to like feel like the carbon but also be strong enough to test so the we had a bunch of ones we were at the indy 500 last year and we had one that was supposed to be like the same weight as this one is now um but it wasn't one that was actually crashable mm. um it, and it was it was like cheap material it was just a um a prop yeah a prop and then we had sanded it down polished it painted it made it look really pretty and uh, we actually had somebody break it, um, and it looked so bad on us. We had only had one with us because we'd only done like the full body work deal yeah. on one of them, and the guy broke it. And we had a meeting with the IndyCar team the next morning. So I, um, we were, I, I, we were in our hotel room at like one o'clock in the morning, and I had gone to Walmart and bought all these like power tools and body work stuff, and we super gluing it back oh, together, no, and grinders, like you and... broke your dad's <laughs> golfing trophy. Yeah, I'm sure our neighbors. We were in like a nice hotel, and they were like, I'm sure our neighbors were furious <laughs> with us because like, wow, they're having a, either a great time over there or he is dismembering a body, but. 
you could barely tell the next morning. Like I, I, I made like JB weld molds with silly putty <laughs> awesome. um, and stuff like that. And like it, and then sanded it down, painted it. And you could barely tell the next morning. I did tell the IndyCar team that somebody had broke it. And so it might be a little fragile. It didn't break again, but that one was officially retired after that weekend. <laughs> and, and put in the uh, on the shelf for yeah. display. But, yeah. Okay. Now we're talking about it actually. So let's uh, let's cut right now and then go to actually. Okay, you're going. Go All ahead. right. AJ, uh, we moved some stuff around. Yes. We've got what two year braces here, right? Yep. And these are the small mediums. Correct. But the difference between the large is just bigger size right yeah just a little bigger for your neck um it's just wider it actually uses all the same hardware the only difference is the collar base so okay um we're we're right gonna have those in here hopefully early june so so i want to rip a band-aid off where are they made they are made um most of our stuff is made in china some of our shocks and tether stuff's made in taiwan um and it, why 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 that and yeah, the composites are really expensive, the, 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 especially with ours, we have a ton of CNC machining involved. I can tell you that uh, we couldn't even get the hardware made for our brace for the price we get our, uh, our, our whole brace made package here. And, you know, that uh, unless some people want a $4,500 neck brace, if you want a $4,500 version, then we can, you know, we could make it here, but we went and we actually spent a month overseas setting up manufacturing. It wasn't a deal where we did everything from here. We went there, we were embedded in it. Um, we did the, the, the same, you know, pains that Robbie Gordon's been dealing with mm -hmm. on the speed with his speed TV yeah, stuff. You know, and, and we, uh, we, we got a lot of good faith by going over there, especially it was a really difficult time during when we went over, they were still in really strict lockdowns. It was almost impossible to get into the country. We spent almost two weeks just trying to get there and we had, we could write a book on that whole trip. But by doing it, we found an awesome manufacturer, great people to work with, incredibly good product. I know my dad built carbon fiber and, um, reet valves for jet skis okay. in the early 2000s at his machine shop, and, and they were mass producing those. So my dad had a background in, in composites, and he was so impressed with not only the products they were be, be able to put out, but a fairly small factory, how clean everything was. Carbon fiber can be super messy. Does the factory have any certifications to it or anything like that? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> like ISO or anything like that? Yeah, they have ISO. They've got a wall that they are very proud of, of every different certification you could want. And I am not very good with all of the acronyms. Well, there's also so many. All I, the only one I know of is ISO, I think 9001, yeah. because of a place I was working at was working towards that certification. Yeah. And I know it was a multi-year process and was uh, multiple inspections. Everything had to be very precise and documented. So if it carries any, anything like that, um, it's it's gotta be legit. And do you, would you trust your life with it? Or your your potential future kids life with one of your products and where it's made i wouldn't put my kid in anybody else's price but ours and i have an 11 year old so um okay we uh i i definitely believe in the product we went through a very um possibly excessive qc procedure that we go through them not only for the parts that are good but also what where the bad parts go and how those are destroyed and how those are marked to make sure that there's no possibility of a bad part ever reaching the real world. Are there any um, any of your parts that you have 
developed along the way that uh, may have failed that you? Want oh to talk yeah, about? we we you know there there was a bunch of stuff. Um, the going from a prototype where you're doing everything in house or you know down, down the street we built a I come from a, you know my dad's fourth generation machinist so we built a lot of stuff ourselves mm -hmm. and then you know putting all that on you know computer and having things made in different places and um, when we were getting samples back and you know there was there was stuff that oh we need to make this tweak here we need to adjust this. We were still doing a little bit of R&D even as we were ramping up for production because we're the type of people that we want to make it better, better, better. So if you think you can make a, this tweak here, adjust it, you want to do it. Some of that didn't work. We had a really, really cool, in theory, clip system, had to anchor to the helmet that failed. And we were at a point where we had spent a bunch of money on tooling and injection molds and all kinds of different stuff to so make this. So you'd already spent money for the the design that failed. Yes, and, and and we you know we went we had we had spent quite a bit of money on tooling, and we we could have gone back and tried to play with different materials, but it was something that scared me. And if anything like that failed on in real life, I just wasn't I, I couldn't do it. Well, and that's I would I can only assume that's something you're not going to recover from. It, it, it like now as products being delivered, if that would have happened. Now, something would have happened now or moving forward that's a reputation as a new company you might not ever be able to come back from no and you especially when you're developing a product like this you can't have a big ego you can't get stuck in well this was my idea so this is you know the, each little piece that you, oh, I'm gonna run with this because that was what I came up with if something fails or something doesn't isn't working right something isn't gelling throw it in the scrap heap and go do something you know go a different direction so um, like our anchor system was a complete re redesign and rework and it was a uh, it, now it's something we're really proud of our anchor system but um, there, there was a point in time and it, and it was when we had already started getting set up with our factory and it wasn't anything that our factory did wrong it was just we were trying to make a swing at something that was really cool and it seemed great in theory but in practice it failed and what we realized after it failed was that there was no safety net for it. If one piece component in this system didn't work, the whole thing, you know, you, you had a free floating head and we weren't willing to even like consider that. So we threw that in the, in the, in the dumpster and ate the tooling on it and went in a different direction. And so redundancy is something that is a big part of endurance racing. Whether it's um, like running down Baja Peninsula or King of the Hammers, and not so much in sprint car racing, but even NASCAR, they've got two sets of ignition systems. Yep. You know, um, those redundancies are very important, so that way, if one thing fails, there's a backup. And yep. it sounds like you you found that you needed a redundancy in that part, and you came up with a way to have a I would not I would say fail safe because nothing is it we're all human things are developed we but, chose to race race cars there's no such thing as perfection yes, or 100 but, but you 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 switch directions to a uh, a different uh clip system that is a little bit more redundant yeah you, it's a system all the strength on our clip system comes from an m6 bolt that's very similar to what you know the industry standard is and it uh 
the the really only difference in ours is ours is a mag magnetic retention system, and a lot of our competitors use a spring-loaded system. Um, ours is magnetic. You know, we uh, we're looking at you know what's the way of the future. What's everybody doing? They're not making spring-loaded phone mounts. They're not making mm -hmm. stuff like that. It's everything's going towards magnets, and they're they're light and super strong and so we uh we found a way to use a magnetic retention system and now it's something that i i think is one of our we don't spend a lot of time on it because i think our shock absorber gets most of the spotlight but i, I think our, our our anchor system is pretty cool so let's go to the shock absorber because a lot of the guys that watch this the shock system in these vehicles that uh, most of the people that watch this particular podcast it's a big deal. Are you it's, telling me off-road guys use shocks? Is that oh yeah, and and they're not a, a shock that's that big that can go on a dyno and, and move around a bunch. I mean, some of these shocks are as tall as us. Yeah. Um, particularly uh, Phil Accardi, he has a bypass that's also a coilover that he's developed. Yep. And this thing goes from the back corner of the B pillar where the roof and the B pillar is down to a trailing arm. Like that's how long those things are. So your shock is it a does it use pressurized nitrogen as a spring with gas in a piston, like I'm thinking of a nitrogen shock, or can you expand on how it's actually dampening or slowing down the movement? So it's it's fairly simple and complex all at the same time. Of course. It's a uh, very super small little shock. Um, I think it's only 140 millimeters long, so exact opposite of his yeah, shock. Is, is there an inch uh, measurement on that? Because most oh, of us yeah. aren't. Canadian, you know, I I think it's you know. Open it up. Maybe may, maybe maybe five inches. We're getting you, there. You can't actually even see the you can't even see the shock with all the covers and everything we have on it. But um, it's got oil inside. The my my father had a background in suspension development on mm -hmm. the motorcycle side, and for, specifically for Supercross, to be able to go through it with a set of Supercross hoops. The, the suspension needs to be extremely stiff to not bottom going through the set of hoops, but also soft enough to squat and settle in the corner so it, the bike will still turn. So what they developed was called Christmas tree valving, and okay. it's just a form of speed sensitive valving that um, allows it to, you know, at the super high speed impact, it gets really stiff, but at a, you know, lower impact, it moves fairly free. Ours is extremely aggressive on both, you know, it moves, you know, with your fingers at low speed, but in a 70G impact, it barely, you know, it, it stiffens up so it doesn't even use the entire travel at 70Gs. Okay. So your shock is uh, actually, you know, taxing inspiration from Supercross and stuff like that. Yep. Well, do you mind if we actually look at it now? Ah, absolutely, yeah. Okay. You get to open it. So I spent way too much time working on this packaging for me to open it up. You get to have the honors. All right. So you can see everybody got all the information on it. Um, what do we got here? Some of your information about how it works and all that. This is mostly these are the terms that maybe the average person doesn't know. Okay. Um, we talk a lot about in our marketing whether it's high high velocity impacts, which you probably know versus like angular acceleration and low threshold energy, um, upper neck tension, and specifically one of the things we do really well is time to peak. Just moving, if you think about an impact, you can put five pounds of weight on your hand and it doesn't hurt. If you take a five pound weight, drop it on your hand, it's gonna hurt. Okay. So just moving, even if we didn't even lower the energy, 
just taking that energy and dispersing it over a wider amount of time is something we've done very well. So we try to, you know, on you're, our packaging, you're, you're give, give a little bit of education. However many people read it, who knows? But I'm also like a, I'm a packaging guy. I think okay. especially for a $1,200 product, it shouldn't just be a- Packaging, a, presentation, how it's shipped, it means a lot, right? You know, I, I don't think it should just be like a simple box wrapped in, uh, you know, it wrapped in wrapped in some uh, bubble wrap. Yeah, bubble wrap, and that's what you get for twelve hundred bucks. Um, so we uh, we got a nice box. Uh, so uh, I know I've seen some unboxing videos for RC cars, and uh, the packaging like it looks and feels very nice. So uh, I can only expect that you know for that price, it's what you get. All right, so here we are. Oh, so this is talking about your dampening system. Yep, the IES is it, the, it, our shock that's system. That's the actual name. Yeah, inertia dampening system. Okay. And that's nice. Our, so you got that in there recovery. And then I know from the videos I've watched of your stuff, uh, it comes with a bag and a case. It's not a separate thing you have to buy, right? Correct, yep. Every, every brace ships with um, the, the carrying case. Is um, that industry standard? No, absolutely that. Okay. I, I haven't opened I, it. I don't own a neck brace, so I honestly don't know if they all come with a like padded case like this. No, nope. most of them come wrapped in bubble wrap. Okay, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I I haven't I haven't purchased every brace out there. Um, so like uh, I haven't purchased a brand new one from every single one, but I know some we've purchased some of our big competitors, and honestly we didn't we didn't really care what they were doing. I loved when I raced motorcycles. I loved goggle bags. I loved mm -hmm. stuff like that. I find myself, my, my neck brace doesn't fit in my helmet bag, so I gotta just throw it in my gear bag. Or it's bag. not something you wanna get beat up. No, and it, it, for me, I felt like it was something that needed its own its own case. And Well, um, that's some forethought that I appreciate as a potential buyer of something like this in the future. It, it, and, you know, the inside the case, we got some pockets for hardware. You can throw rolls of tear-offs in, or, uh, you know, tear-offs or um, so even so short course off-road and in dirt track racing you have to have a spe special device so you can hear, listen to track officials yeah race receiver yeah, yeah so all that stuff and it could go right in here because a helmet bag is usually just a bag for the helmet yeah the helmet bag just sl slips open there's not any extra pockets or any so, in so you got some room for that uh, now you don't have instructions in here, do you? No, uh, you know we're in the 21st century. Um, we didn't okay. need to send uh, instructions. So manual. is that what this little doohickey is for? Yep. So that that card there, you scan it with your phone. It takes you to the web page on our website that's got an instruction video. Shows you exactly what you need to do to hook up the helmet hardware, how to hook up your helmet, okay. uh, or you know the brace to your helmet. Also fairly self-explanatory. But if you need any help, um, just scan that code and it'll uh, it'll take you to the to the instruction video. So in this bag is your hardware and blue Loctite? Blue Loctite, yep. Okay. Um, I don't trust the little, you know, some of this stuff comes with like the dried blue Loctite oh, that's act supposed to be activated when you do it. I didn't trust it. We decided to just give you a whole little deal and if you ever need to take it off, swap helmets, you've got another. Just throw that Loctite in with your bag and a you little dabble do you. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be taken care of. And then this is a thank you from the company. Yeah. Um, and you and is that your partner? Yeah. Well, this is um, he's he's not a owner of the company. He was a guy I went to school with that took okay. a hell of a chance to come work for me. Okay. And yeah, took a pay cut to come work with me. Connor's been awesome. 
you know, if you talk, if you email or call Mayru right now, chances are, you, and you need any kind of high level information, you're gonna talk to me or Connor. He handles all our wholesale distribution, our driver support. Connor's awesome guy. Uh, if you talk to him, please be nice to him. Uh, he's new to racing, but he's learning so fast. Okay. And he has been probably one of the best decisions I've made for Mayru was bringing a guy like Connor right. on. So this thank you letter, all the information, um, you and Connor's signatures and everything. Yes. Okay. We we decided on that. So the first batch of races, you know, the early movers and the early adapters are in incredibly important for our long-term health. So Just getting off the ground. The, this letter is not going to be in every one in the future. Is that are you saying that? I don't know. Okay. Um, at, so you for sure get it now, but later on when it's not a pre-order setup. I'm not going to guarantee that everybody gets a deal. I know it. Okay. It was a. The big deal of when you start selling thousands of them, and you know, it's really hard. I, I know we, we signed 250 of them, and that was uh, my oh, hand. Oh, so, so these are hand signed? Yeah, yeah, no, those are hand signed. If you don't hand sign them, they don't have the, they don't, they're not embossed. Oh. They don't have the divot in them. No, yeah. I, 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 I would have thought it was printed, but I, I can see now it's a little bit different color. Okay. Yeah, no. So you, uh, props to you on that. I would, I would not have thought to sign 250. Yeah, I, 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 you know, sometimes you get like handwritten letters from companies, and I always that look handwritten, and I always feel on them to see if it has them, you know, they're embossed, like if you actually wrote it with pen. Did I you did notice see, as you went along your signature changed? Yes, and you know, <laughs> and uh, Connor, you know, I, I, I grew up racing, and I motorcycles and the race cars. So I've been practicing my signature since I was in like second grade. I was bounded at Durman. Somebody was going to want my signature very early on, and it wasn't until I was in my twenties before anybody actually asked. Connor didn't grow up racing, so he started signing his signature. He's only signed it on like official paperwork and stuff like that. Well, and we're not really from an age anymore where you sign a bunch of checks and stuff. Well, and so he, he goes and he's like, oh, yours looks good. I Mine looks terrible. And he's like, okay, it's getting better. It's getting better. <laughs> he's developing he, he did his it. signature as we, he took a break like halfway through and he's like, I feel like my signature is getting better. Okay. And by the end, he's like, okay, those are good. So then he wanted the the signet, the pages off the top to go in the first set of braces. So okay. they looked good. All right. And then uh, sticker sheet? Yeah. You know, uh, we everybody likes stickers. Um, and we every it never seems like you have the right size sticker. Okay. So we went with slightly different sizes, and you want something to go on a white or black. Uh, You've got some options. Yeah, you got some options there, and fun little app. So um, I, I personally have not been to Baja Tour Race, but I've only heard stories and seen on video all the kids down there, they want stickers, stickers, stickers. Oh. And uh, you, the stickers can be, from what I understand, used as currency. Like if you need something, like sometimes they want the stickers bad enough for like if you need fuel, like hey, I, here's some stickers, and you might end up with some fuel or some help. You know, there's also you know you talk about little kids in Mexico about this or Baja. I'm pretty sure when we were at PRI this year, there were some old guys that would have traded for some stickers too. We we went through so many stickers at PRI, it made me feel really good about our logo because the guys that were next to us. They had stickers out too, and they had the same group of stickers out on their table all week. And you know, they get, got most of the way picked through by the end of the week. We were having to restock our table like every okay. like two hours, so we gave out like two thousand stickers at PRI. So let's lift it. Actually, lift it out now. Yes. And that's where the magic happens. So I am by no means like a connoisseur of any of this. I, I know enough to be 
to make myself sound smart or stupid, depending yeah, on certain situations. You know enough to be dangerous. Um, the weave on the carbon fiber looks consistent and nice. Um, and I only say that because that's what I always hear people talk about with carbon fiber stuff. Like, yeah, you don't, you, don't, you don't want it to be squished. You, yeah. You're looking for even lines. And, and sometimes you're going to in certain spots, you know, I get it, but like, the, especially the flat spots, you don't want to see it all like, Junkie. Well, these are the, you know these are compression molds, so especially when you have any contours, you're going to have some bit okay. of uh, of squish in it. But for the most part, on those big long pieces, you get a nice consistent weave. Um, so, is the shock covered to protect the shock? So that was actually a request from the IndyCar series. Um, the 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 reason they wanted that cover was. Uh, attacked as a burst shield if there was any if a shock ever exploded you know pulled one apart had any issues they wanted there to, it to be covered originally we just had a hoop and so IndyCar was asking for us to make a, a plate specifically for IndyCar to act as a burst shield and we decided well if IndyCar wants this this is something we should look at anyways and we just made it a part of the brace okay. we made the, the front piece is permanent installed the front plate's permanent and then the back plate pops off um so you can this change right yeah okay. it made it so we can uh, our our tethers are retained and your tethers can't fall out as long as the the plate's in but if you ever need to swap tethers you just pull the plate off and you can okay. you, you can pull it set out also you can pull the plate off to look at look at the shock make sure you you know, if, if you ever had any late leaks or anything, as with any piece of safety equipment, you need to pay attention, you need to look at it. If you do ever have any kind of oil leak, any kind of issue, we have a, if you, you send us a brace, you pay the shipping and we offer free inspection, whether you have a leak, you have a big crash, anything like that. If it's, uh, the, the inspection's free. If we have to change anything, swap anything out after a crash, you're just paying parts. We're not charging labor. That the, that service side is not a money maker for us, and we don't want it to be. We actually really want you to send braces back in as frequently as possible. Well, so, it also gives you information on how they're doing. Right? Yeah, we want our we want a finger on the pulse of what's going on. So um, I know we've been approached. A bunch of our dealers have asked if they can do research certification for us, and if they can do that. Ultimately, they're looking for it as a little bit of a money. And by maker. recertification, tell everybody what you mean. So, um, most time for recertification, you'll get a new SFI sticker. Okay. Um, we and, will we'll, with, with like harnesses. They've got dates on them, and usually, it's new harnesses because it's the webbing that goes bad, and it doesn't really make sense financially to have your seatbelts rewebbed. Yeah. Because you might as well just buy a just whole buy a new set. Yeah. Uh, on these, you know, it makes sense, especially with ours. We have a lot of fusible links, and um, we've got a lot of bend, crack, stuff like that in a big impact that you can pull off, bolt a new one on, and you don't have to replace the whole brace. Okay. Um, the the shock and the collar are the two strongest pieces. All everything else. Collar right here. Yeah, right. the the collar. And then and the, the shock. shock that's right there. You yeah. can barely see the bottom. The, the shock mounts, the shock pins, all that stuff at a certain point is designed to bend. Because what we don't want is to, to break. actually fail yeah. and break. Break. You so want it to yield, not break. Exactly. But because of that, you know, in, in if you have a big impact, you might have some stuff that's bent up. 
the nice part is send it in we'll swap out what's bent we'll we'll put a new certification sticker on it and we'll get it back to you and you know for a couple hundred dollars you have a brand new brace instead of having to spend another 1200 bucks on a new one and the re okay. you know, we're the we're the only company out there that has parts you can replace after a big impact the rest of them it's so, is so, it cracked or not so in this case and what you're saying is if everything needs to be replaced but say the collar it's the same price no, you you're we'll have a a parts list for okay. you know for you know a, a shock pin will be worth you know this much okay. a, a, a you know a shock mount is worth so X. the more you have to replace the more you have to pay but you're still not paying full price again right exactly okay um and the only thing where we would scrap a brace is if you hurt a collar if you hurt the collar then that one's dead and you know if that happens somebody's in a horrible wreck this works as it's intended, but it's no longer reusable. Is there a rebuy program or a new purchase program for them, for a customer that they love this, they want this, the rebuild program didn't work, recertification program didn't yeah. work. Uh, are they back in at a full price or do they get a discount on the next one or anything like that? That's always gonna be a case by case okay. deal. Um, but ultimately, if you hurt, if you crash hard enough to hurt that brace, Especially if you hurt the collar, and you can't, and it's too far gone for us to replacement parts. Then we feel we did our job. We 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 because without it, you're going to be in bad shape. From what I understand of your test results, that would be quite the impact. Yeah, I mean, at 70 G's, you could have re at 70 G impact, you could have recrashed them. And 70 G's is so every G is one times your own body weight, correct? Yes. Yeah. So if you're a 200 pound man. That's 70 times 200, correct? Correct. That's a lot of force. Yes, it is, you know, it, like I said, if you, we could have recrashed those braces and recertified those braces. So if you crashed hard enough to break one, then we feel we've done our job. Okay. And, 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 and you know, uh, it, you should, Theoretically, be happy you were wearing it and be okay buying a new one. Um, I, I I do not disagree because I didn't think about the numbers until you said that. Um, like seventy G's, like that is a astronomical number. That would be what a hundred. If you're a two hundred pound man, one hundred forty thousand pounds of force. I yeah. think if my math's right. It, it, we're for the most part when we're dealing with the the deal, we're basing it off an eleven pound head. Oh, okay. Um, with with helmet Two, and, okay. and so deal. G of that. Yep. But still, that's um, a lot of force on your neck. Yeah, so we've tested this. We built a, a fixture at our shop to test at 2,800 pounds. And we've hit this at 2,800 pounds 100 times in a row. And just boom, boom, boom. Anything fail or bend? No, or fail. Uh, we, we, bent, um, we bent the upper shock mount and okay. the lower shock. The, the upper shock pin and the lower shock but mount. But replaceable parts. Replaceable parts. Um, and nothing failed after that many revolutions. Okay. That was specifically we have we have a test we have to do to clear FIA certification, which FIA is currently suspended all new applications for braces until July or till June. But there was stuff we were just preparing for for. FIA. Are they overwhelmed by everybody trying to develop stuff to follow you? No, they are currently. You know, I I wish. Um, um, they they are reviewing their current testing standards okay. and procedures. They have a big meeting on May 31st to go over all those and then they'll reopen. 
deals if we um, if we had something that would have worked for the same test that they did for Hans or the same test they did for hybrid they we could have tested with them because they have a specific test for Hans and a specific test for but hybrid. this is not the same neck restraint no it's not saying it's not the same you're not using the same uh, how do I say um, restraint system? Like you've at, you've changed the game, it, it, honestly, because nobody else's moves, right? Nope. So, Which, so so you can't test this the same way you do the others, right? No, I I, I mean you can, but at, we did with SFI. But are you going um, to show what it can really do? No, and, and um, SFI has one test for everybody. FIA has a much different procedure, and they but for the same reason when they, when they when they approved the hybrid, they couldn't do the exact same tests as the Hans and, mm. and show it. Okay. So when 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 FIA FIA has one standard for for Hans, and FIA is a little bit stricter, right, or, or more in depth. Yeah, the, they also cover the entire world, where SFI is mainly United States. Yeah, and they or North they, America. They have a, a set of procedures and testing procedures you have to accomplish, and then they have a committee. So it's not just numbers on a sheet. They can still approve or deny you based off of an opinion, and so you really have to win them over. The good okay. news is um, right now specifically for head and neck restraints, they only have a few board members um, that are voting board members, and one of those is Dr. Terry Trammell from the Verizon Indy, or I guess NTT Data IndyCar series. Now. Whatever the name IndyCar is. IndyCar series, yeah. He's, he's the lead doctor for their series, and he is a voting member on that board, and we've worked with him very closely throughout the development, so you know we feel like we have a leg up because we already have, have been working with Trammell so much. Um, so we, we think we can, once FIA opens up, we think we can get through there fairly quickly. We have several IndyCar drivers and WeatherTech Sports so cars. Do those, so those, those guys want to use it and they're not allowed to, right? Because it has to have FIA. S5 would have done more. Yep. And we're, because they travel and so they race in more than just the United States. It's just, uh, the, it just each series is, has specific standards. You know, it's not necessarily as um, like SFI is just US and FIA is everywhere else because there's places in Australia, New Zealand that will accept SFI, okay. um, and then there and there's in South America that are based off of SFI. For the most part, FIA is on the world stage, but there is specifically IMSA and IndyCar require FIA certification. Okay. Uh, NASCAR is a whole different deal because they require SFI and then NASCAR approval, and NASCAR has their own whole own independent board, uh, who's you know unbiased board that reviews it and goes through their own procedures. So we've submitted a brace to NASCAR. We're waiting to submit for FIA, um, and so that's so you you've got some stuff in the works. Sounds like. Yeah any future products you might have in the works that you're you can expand on you know we we're looking at all the different hard points that your body touches in the race car it's not necessarily like suits or any of the soft stuff but braces helmets seats okay. um, we haven't necessarily committed to any one um, product 
but we're considering and looking at all of them, all with trying to carry the common idea of energy absorption and suspension systems. What we're doing with the shock, can we go do this with a helmet? Can we do this with seats? If so, awesome. But we don't want to make need-to products. We don't want to just be doing something that, you know, just adding another thing to, to our deal to pair and just, you know, we. I think you know Ford has has done this to where they were making every different type of car. And well, they were, it, you could also have any color you wanted as long as it was black. From what I remember. Yeah, and, and, and it, 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 that seriously, that, that from what I know here, when the Model T came out, Henry Ford told everybody, you can have any color you want as long as it's mind. black. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, if you look at the, you know, I, I think it was like. Uh, into the late 2000s, Ford had started this whole deal where they were making all these different types of cars and they had totally, you know, during the crash, everything was sideways and they had one brilliant CEO come in and said, we're gonna scrap most of this. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go down, I think it was to eight models. They went from making, I think over a hundred different models of cars to eight. Same things, you know, Steve Jobs, when he really took over Apple, they were making hundreds of different products at Apple, and they took it down to like four. We're only gonna do things we're gonna be best at. You're gonna focus it, on the things that you believe in and that you really want to develop. If we're not best in class, if we're not the most cutting edge, you know, best technology out there, then we're not gonna do it. Um, and so, I think that's a great segue into closing this out because, uh, you have, I mean, you've essentially told what about the future of the company. You're only going to do stuff that you're passionate about, that you're going to develop to the best that you can. And if you have to fall, walk in someone else's footsteps and do it the way they want, you're not going to do it. No, we're racers. I mean, we don't. We're not a big, you know, big company trying to re. This isn't a marketing campaign. This isn't trying to repackage an old product. This is us as racers coming together and trying to make something that's better than it, anything else out there. That's what we have to do. That's what we why we all race. And so this is uh, this is this is why we do it. We love it, and um, we're only gonna do things we can try and beat people at. I, I really appreciate that. Well, AJ, thank you very much for that in-depth interview and and description of what Meru Safety is all about. I do appreciate that. Um, if you guys want to go to what we're going to do is we're going to put that out the actually in-depth interview and talk about the neck restraint. We're going to put that out on a separate video as well. That'll be more in-depth because that was like 30 minutes long. You guys, you guys, well, and there's you things two I wouldn't quit talking. There's things I wanted like, to cover that, uh, I would love to go even further in depth, but to some people that's too much information. I, I agree with that. I mean, I mean. What do you think, AJ? Should I've never go? been accused of being short-winded. So if, <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite things is there's a, there's this quote that's like, if you need me to do a five-minute presentation, I need a month to prepare. If I need to do a 10-minute presentation, I need a week to prepare. If you want me to talk for an hour, I can start right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, good, man. I appreciate it. And I know all the guys that are watching this podcast are the ones that want to see because I, I know that plenty of them wanted to know about Meru and that whenever I said, I, I, I got it down, I got I got AJ down for Meru. And they're like, we really want to see this podcast. So it's going to be really cool to watch how the off-road community, which is somebody new to your realm, is actually going to 
take it and see it, and I I see it going really well, mm-hmm. and I I see it going well. Um, your SFI rates, everything that you just talked about in the prior interview, plus our whole podcast uh, should should help them decide what neck restraint is going to save their neck, their back, their life. Life. We we say we like to call it their squish because everybody forgets about their brain, but um, yeah. you know it. Uh, and for, to be fair, I mean the. For the most part, it was not the neck brace protect your neck and the helmets protect your head. But I felt like uh, we could do a little of both with uh, it, with one device. It's a it's a one and the same, and it mm-hmm. needs to be done. It needs to be talked about. There's one thing that I always talk about, and I want to do this. Um, and me and Seth have talked about it. My plan is to get racers here with their race cars, and I want I tell them to bring their suits and give all their safety equipment, strap in, and see how fast they can get out. I can get out pretty fast. I mean, I guess we can bring the sprint car down here at some point, and we can get out. Uh, I asked you, whenever I first talked to you, I asked you, and he's like, it's not ready. Yeah, which is usually yeah. Which is usually the answer that I get from all, all the Ultra 4 racers and all the Dirt Right guys, the old Dirt Right guys. They're like, they, they, their, their car's not ready. Well... We should get to a point where like the the car's ready to go racing every weekend, um, and then we can come do it. I'll do it without the wing though, because uh, I've actually I've never run wing cars, so I mean, it's probably going to take some use to getting in and out. Oh yeah, because you can't come it. straight out the top. Yeah, you can't go nope. out the top. So well, that's um, true. You either got to go out. Be, like some guys go behind the wing, um, go like out the back. Or some guys go out the left side. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see how that goes. But well, I'll bring and, the uh, non-wing we can car al- down. We can always come to you where the car is, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're uh, we're, we're local here. You know, anybody who's in Oklahoma, we're, we're off of I-240 and uh, Sooner here in southeast Oklahoma City. So. I know where I'm hanging out in the evenings now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair. We're, we're, Screw we, you, Alan. He's do. got a race car. <laughs> the, the car is there right now, but it's normally not going to be there we're just um we're getting ready to take it to go get it wrapped and, so you know. that boils down to basically how can anybody listening to this podcast can get a hold of you you're you're located off a of 240 and sooner which unless you're an oki you don't know that so where where is your location and then your all your information man socials websites everything yeah yep only fans <laughs> we're we're southwest <laughs> oklahoma city here but um we're uh you can get it on our website is meru-safety.com. That's M-E-R-U dash. Is that a forward dash or a backwards dash? Uh, it's it's like you know a subtraction dash that oh, kind of okay. dash. Um, not 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 forward slash. I think slash and dash. Um, the, I never understood the slash as the forward and backwards. Um, yeah. Sorry to break that up, but that is random. Mayru dash safety got there. We go. All right. Um, our all of our social handles on everything is just Mayru safety. Um, my email is aj at meru-safety.com if anybody wants direct connection we only you know there, there's only a few of us there so if you, you you'll talk to somebody important if you if you give us a call how do we get a hold of connor is his connor connor at, yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, we're really complicated in our emails we're trying to stay you know keep on the there's some crazy code names y'all got yeah, going yeah. on um so that that's the best way to get a hold of us if you're you know trying to call from home we're, we're working really hard on trying to get as many different races as possible. 
for the most part, we're staying kind of in this, you know, Oklahoma and bordering states right now. Um, what what events do you have coming up that uh, any of these listeners may be able to see you at? So we we've been working with uh, Pastrana, and he has you know obviously the involvement at Mid America, um, both in the series and in the facility, and uh, we also have a couple guys like C.J. Greaves and. Uh, on the UTV side, uh, Will, William Lunchbox Thomas and a couple different guys running them. In, and so I, I think we're going to try and get out at least for a day or two to um, the, the the Memorial Day weekend race um, at, up at Mid-America. At Mid-America NJ. Yeah, and then um, we're, we're trying to figure out the logistics side of it, um, but definitely have some form of presence at Visions in, in June. And that is June 12th through the 18th, yes. I believe. Yes, you, you guys apparently need like week-long events in the middle of summer. That seems, uh, from what I can see, is a big, long party. But, so I'll go and work, and my wife will go and have fun. Well, but and you have my to wife understand. And, and this... his girlfriend... Wait, they you... go to the pool. That's all. That, that's well, what's really awesome about it. And the bathroom. In groups. Oh, and the bathroom. The bathroom is amazing. They there. just did it here. Is it? Be- oh, they just went to the bathroom in groups. Okay. Yes. Be- be- is it good? Them be- two and the cat all together walked in there. <laughs> have you? Have you guys been? Have you been to Wheatland? I have not been uh, to Wheatland. I've seen it on the television. Because we raced, we raced midges and sprint cars at Wheatland, and their bathrooms was the most impressive thing. They got like eighteen stalls in the pits bathroom and, and the like, women still has and, a line and no and they and they had like an attendant in the bathroom i was like what in the world is this i'm no. walking in with my driving suit in between races and there's a, there was a bathroom attendant and they're like do you want me to hold it for you and no no i i, I it was just by far the weirdest <laughs> thing but i keep telling her we need to go to lucas and i literally say you know she, i i've barely been racing since we've been uh together but uh keep saying we need to go race at lucas she'll like that one because the pits are paved the bathrooms are nice you know her her um negative feelings towards dirt for the most part aside from the racetrack would be solved at lucas so well um, and i'm telling you right now if you take her to vision she's gonna be spoiled yeah uh, from what she's i understand mid-america is the nicest off-road park in the country possibly the world yeah, I mean, it seems super impressive. Well, that, impressive. I know I've been looking at what Travis has been doing there, and um, I don't know. She's pretty spoiled because she's been going to these indie car races, and there's oh, no, yeah. not any, any dirt there. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I think she always also drinking riding, mimosas with somebody holding her umbrella. I don't know. <laughs> a, a week and a half ago, we were riding Vespas through little random side roads in Mexico. So I guess she's pretty brave. Hey, uh, happy honeymoon, by the way. <laughs> yes. It's going to end soon whenever you go to the dirt. <laughs> yes. You know, but, it's not even going to the dirt. It's when, the first time I'm strapped back in a race car, especially she's watched like 410 wing cars uh, up in like uh, in St. Louis up at Peavely and how fast those cars go. And she has no interest. Why in is that thing those. hanging off the fence? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, hanging <laughs> on the fence. Win it or wear it. <laughs> that's why that's why I own a safety company yes. so that I can get all that stuff. So once we get in the car, I don't have to worry about it. There we go. Well, guys, here we're basically done with this. We've spent about two and a half hours, something like that. It's been a long time. You guys are you guys are both pretty long winded. I think you guys could have some. You guys could have some really camp good campfire talks. Oh, uh, we might have to uh, bring him up to the to the camp around the campfire up at uh, nationals, maybe. No, that's well, campfire at nationals is going to be in Havasu. 
or sorry, like have a brew the race before that. <laughs> yeah, have a brew yeah the, 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 I agree, you know so cow kid, the, the race before that at disney oh at disney yeah, yeah. no you're welcome to come to disney come uh, to disney it's he, a, he a good time doesn't look like i'm invited he, he looks like you're more entertained than he is well alan's just tired maybe, he works maybe, for a living maybe we can just have like a like a weekly show where we just bullshit on random things that that's, like, that's it this that's is see you that. off the trail yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay the cackling ladies in the background all right it's worse than the freaking cats all I'm right he- I- i'm here all. i'm here all night <laughs> all right well guys thank you for hanging out with us aj thank you very much i thank appreciate you. it it's been awesome i'll tell you what Meru's safety needs to come out, and and the great thing is that I think this podcast is going to bring it to the off road community, and it, I think it's really going to help. So, support local companies, and it's and and, and we support business. local companies and stuff that are around us in Oklahoma. And the greatest thing is that we used to watch Ultra Four Racing, and it was in California, and we're like, man. We wish Ultra Ford Racing would come to Oklahoma. And now it's home is here. This is home. It's Oklahoma. So we're gonna we're gonna put you in the forefront, hopefully, with everything that we're talking about and everything that you showed us tonight. We appreciate it. Guys, my name is Hitch. This is Seth, and this is AJ with Meru Safety saying see you on the trail. See ya. Peace yes. out.